chapter 17. We are only going to be dealing with verses 9 through 14, but we will be in a number of different places in the scriptures. So be ready to have your Bibles handy to to turn to a number of different places in the scriptures. This is God's holy and inspired word. Please give it your full attention. Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 through 14. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who was born in the house or who was bought with money from any foreigner who was not of your descendants. A servant who was born in your house or who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Uh, Verse 14. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Let's pray. Oh, good and gracious God, we pray that this morning as we come before you to consider your word, that you would give to our minds understanding, that you would give to our hearts believing, that you would give hearing to our ears And, Lord, that you would bring clarity maybe to a very difficult covenant to understand and and explain. Lord, we pray that you would give us patience as we journey through these verses. And that you would help us in all of these things to see Christ. To point forward to the cross where Christ uh, wins victoriously all that we lost in the Garden of Eden. And how this covenant, even Abraham's, points to Christ and what he will fulfill in the new covenant. We thank you for this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The last time that we gathered to consider the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis, we considered the first 14 verses kind of as a whole, as as a general uh, explanation of the Abrahamic covenant which is being further revealed. The Abrahamic covenant is being further revealed. Up until the 17th chapter, the focus of the covenant that God made with Abraham primarily centered on what God promised that he would do. Uh, We saw up until the 17th chapter a number of I will statements from God. I will do this. I will do that. And what we've seen up until the 17th chapter is really God's half of the covenant. This is God's side, what God promised that he will do. Now, when we come to this 17th chapter, Abraham was told what he must do as a part of his covenant or a part or as a part or as his part of the covenant. That is to say, this is not a one sided covenant of grace, but it is a a covenant of works. That's important. This is not a one-sided covenant of grace, meaning God does everything. Abraham doesn't have to do anything except for receive. Not the case. Abraham must do something. And as we said last week, right when God called Abraham, God called them to do something. What was the first thing God called Abraham to do? 
Leave. Remember, leave, right? Leave country. Leave your kindred. So Abraham was, was not ever without something to do. From the very moment that God called him, he called him to leave. Now in Genesis chapter 17, Abram, who was now Abraham, must walk before God. He must walk in uh, communion and fellowship with God. Abraham must also be blameless. Live blameless before God. I'm going to say this slowly. He must obey God and externally on the outside live in such a way that displayed an internal change or an internal righteousness that he received by faith. Does that make sense? Abraham must live externally that which has taken place or live out which has taken place on the inside. There's been a change on the inside. Therefore, he must display that on the outside. As he will be a witness to the unbelieving world. Amen. Genesis chapter 17 verse 9. Verse 9. Abraham was given the command to circumcise himself. And all of his male offspring. Along with every servant born in his house. Or bought with his money. Uh, Again last week we gave an overview really. Of a particular Baptist. Specifically 1689 Federalist view. Of the Abrahamic covenant. That may sound like. What did you just, what did you just say? This is a uh, particular Baptist church. We hold to 1689 federalism. Find out more about it. You can talk to the elders after the church. Or you can ask us for resources. And we'll give you some. There are so many things that we did not discuss last week. So many things that deserve our attention. And also deserve our clarification which is why we will be spending the next few weeks just in this chapter. But today, with God's help, we will try to clarify the Bible's teaching on circumcision. So if you want a title for today, it's Circumcision Part 1. And we will do so with three main points. Number one, circumcision in the Old Testament. Circumcision in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 17... God establishes the practice of circumcision that will come to define the people of Israel throughout their existence. As we said last week, with God's command of circumcision, the Jews were then established as a nation. The Jews were just wanderers until God established them as a nation through the sign of circumcision. Now, what is circumcision? Uh, Briefly. Circumcision is the cutting of the foreskin of the male reproductive organ. It's important to note that circumcision was not a new practice to the world at that time. Uh, It was not as though God was introducing something, a practice, that had never been introduced in all of the world before. Other nations practiced circumcision. For example, some nations applied the act of circumcision to young boys as a rite of passage into manhood. But it would take place around 12, 13 years old. The Lord God commanded Abraham to circumcise all males, even those who were only infants as old as eight days. Circumcision is a well-known practice. We, when we say the word, we all know what it means, even among non-Jewish people. And it is so common that we, we might not think much about the act itself. It is believed to be medically beneficial for males, but 
why would God choose, of all things, of all of the signs that God could choose, why would God choose this uh, act of circumcision as the covenant sign that he would make with Abraham? The covenant that God made with Abraham was for Abraham. And his descendants would then benefit from that. All those who received the sign of circumcision were marked as being the descendants of the offspring of Abraham and the ones through whom the Messiah would come. This kind of language, again, is very unique to particular Baptist federal theology. Covenants often have visible signs. Remember this? What is the covenant sign of the Abrahamic covenant or the Adamic covenant, the covenant made with Adam? What are the, the covenant signs? There's two of them. That's a few, but the tree of life and what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One promised life and one promised death. These are covenant signs. What's the covenant sign of the Noahic covenant? The rainbow. The rainbow is the covenant sign that God made with Noah that he would never again destroy the earth by way of flood. The covenant sign that God made with Abraham was circumcision. We have covenant signs today. Uh, In marriage, we have a covenant sign. What is that covenant sign? I know a lot of the men don't wear them or neither do the women, but your ring, your ring is a covenant sign between you and your wife, which is why I encourage you men to wear them. Circumcision function as a covenant sign between God and Abraham and later for all of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Later in the book of Exodus chapter 12, we see that circumcision was required in order to participate in the Passover celebrations. In Leviticus chapter 12, we see that circumcision was a part of the old, the old covenant law, and it was also required for Israel. Again, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. Now, now we're going to start moving a little bit slower. What did this sign signify? What did the sign signify? Number two. Here's our second point, which we'll stay here for a little bit longer. The sign of the of circumcision, <clears throat> the sign of circumcision. Again, this is taken from Genesis 17, 9 through 14. Think about this. What did circumcision signify to those who received it? What did it signify? Or to ask it another way, what did the circumciser and the one who was circumcised receive as a result of their circumcision? What did they receive? Well, let's start with the one who first received circumcision. Who was the first one to receive circumcision? Speak to me. Abraham. What did Abraham receive as a result of his obedience to circumcision? What did God give him Because of his obedience. Did Abraham receive salvation. Because of circumcision. Did God say now you're saved because you've been circumcised. No. Was salvation promised through circumcision. The apostle Paul answers that question for us. We don't need to guess. Right. Romans. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter four. 
We're asking the question, what was promised to Abraham? And was salvation promised in circumcision? Romans chapter 4. <coughs> Are we there? Good. Romans 4. Verse 7. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. Now, what is Paul speaking of? He's speaking about grace. This is a New Testament, New Covenant uh, ideology thought. Grace is from the New Testament, right? Grace is a blessing. How is grace given? And to whom is it given? How is grace given and to whom is it given? Verse 9. Paul is anticipating that question. Paul said, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And then Paul anticipates, well, to who does that grace come? Paul answers the question in verse 9. Is this blessing, or, or ask the question, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? He's asking the same question that we're asking. Does grace come to the person who is circumcised only? Or does grace come to the person who is uncircumcised? Does it matter? And the question he's asking is, because is salvation something promised in circumcision? That's what he's asking. He's asking is, does this gift of grace belong only to those who have been circumcised? He's anticipating the argument from the Jew who claims that because he's been given this physical sign of circumcision, then spiritual blessings, hear that again? Then spiritual blessings that were given to Abraham are also given to him. What are the spiritual blessings given to Abraham? What is the spiritual blessing given to Abraham? What spiritual blessing is there? Salvation. What's he talking about in, the, in this chapter? Grace. It, who is it given to? The apostle is arguing that this Jew who believes that he is re- going to receive grace because he is circumcised is presuming upon the grace of God. That, meaning this, I've been given this sign, therefore I receive spiritual blessings. Which is why Jews look down on non-Jews as not being fully spiritual or saved because they had not yet been circumcised. They believed that they had some kind of spiritual rite of passage by or via their circumcision. Because they've been circumcised, they're saved. They were, they were uh, saying a work, a physical work, saves me. But not the work of Christ. How, when were spiritual blessings then given to Abraham? So the argument is the Jew is saying, because I've been circumcised, I've been saved. Paul's saying, when was Abraham saved? Paul's asking, when did Abraham get saved? Since you're saying you were saved by circumcision, when was Abraham saved? Romans 4, 9. B, which is the latter part of verse 9. For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. You see that? 
How then was it credited? So Abraham received righteousness. It was given to him, accounted to him, credited to him. And Paul's saying, how was it credited? What did he do? Goes on. Look at what the Bible says. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Are you following the argument? Paul's saying, when did it happen? When was Abraham made right before God? When he was or when he was not circumcised? He goes on to answer, not while circumcised. Are you with me? But while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them and the father of the circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also to those who follow in the steps of faith of the faith of our father, Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised brothers, sisters. We have begun this point by asking the question. What did the sign of circumcision signify to those who received it? Or what did they receive as a result of their circumcision? Before we answered that question, we said, well, what did Abraham receive as a result of his circumcision? The apostle answered that question for us. He first tells us what Abraham did not receive. That is, Abraham did not receive salvation as a result of his obedience to circumcision. Why? Because there is no salvation offered in circumcision. When was he justified? Before or after? Before. Not after. This was to display that man is never justified by keeping the law. But he believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed in the salvation or the gospel promise that was revealed to him that through you will come a seed and that seed will bless the nations. Who is that seed? Oh, you guys know what I'm going to say every Sunday. I say the same thing, don't I? Genesis 3.15. He is the seed that will come and crush the serpent's head. He will reverse the curse that Adam uh, gave to all mankind when he rejected the law of God. Abraham believed in that promised seed. And God is promising Abraham, that seed will come through you. Through your offspring. Abraham believed that. And because he believed that, he was saved and declared righteous by God. So then, salvation is by faith. That automatically begins to answer our question. What did the person, we're going back to it now, what did the person who gave circumcision and received circumcision, what did they receive? Well, we know what they didn't receive. Right? What did they not receive? They didn't receive salvation. Just like Abraham didn't receive salvation through circumcision. Are you with me? Okay. Abraham did not receive grace by the works of the law. And neither did those who came after him. And neither do you. So what did God promise Abraham through this covenant of circumcision? What's he promising him? What will he receive as a result of his obedience? Genesis 17, a fruitful nation, the nation of Israel, will be established through him. Kings would sit upon that throne in the future. 
and they would have be given the land of Canaan. And God promised Abraham that through him would come a spiritual offspring who was also physical. From his physical offspring would come someone who spiritually blesses the nations. That is the Messiah. So there is a physical promise being given to Abraham. And there's also a spiritual promise being given to Abraham. What did circumcision signify to the person who circumcises and to the one who was circumcised? Do they receive everything Abraham received is my question. Did that follow? Are you confused yet? We're simply asking, God made these promises to Abraham. Physical promises, land, nation, kings, all of that. And also he promised Abraham, through you a seed will come that will bless the nations. Circumcise, obey this, and he does. Now, for those who are circumcised, and for the one who circumcises, who obeys that command, does he get everything Abraham was promised? No, he doesn't. So then what does it signify? Because it signifies something primarily first and foremost to one person. Who is that? Abraham. Not to all of Abraham's, not to every single person who was circumcised. Why? here's, Here's an example. Well, let me just read it. Circumcision did not signify the exact same thing to every male that it signified to Abraham in the exact same way. Allow me to explain. Was God promising to every person that circumcised and to the one who was circumcised that they would receive numerous offspring as the dust and as the stars of the sky? No. God was not promising such a thing to every single individual. Was God promising every single individual that kings would sit on thrones from their, uh, from them uh, would come kings who sat on thrones to every individual? That'd be a lot of kings, right? No. This is going to sound tedious. Was God promising to every person who circumcised and who was circumcised that a specific special seed would come from them that would bless the nations? No, there's just one coming from one stock, Abraham. Not in the least. The covenant of circumcision was made with Abraham. He is the covenant head of this agreement. His obedience of the requirements to the requirements of the covenant will have a lasting effect on generations to come. But the promises to Abraham. Are you with me? These promises are first and foremost to Abraham. It's going to be a long quote but I think it's most helpful from A.W. Pink. Circumcision, I'm going to break it up into parts. Circumcision did not import any individual that any portion of the numerous seed of Abraham should descend through them, through him. That's exactly what I just said. The covenant promised that all nations should be blessed in Abraham. That the Messiah should be his descendant. But circumcision, listen to this, very, very provocative. 
But circumcision was no sign. Or not a sign to any other than that the Messiah should descend from them. Does that make sense? He's saying the only sign that it really served for those who were circumcised was this. The Messiah is coming out of your nation. Even to Isaac and Jacob, they could have been been circumcised. And yet it was only by the grace of God that God chose them. To be the ones through whom the Messiah would come. There was, there was no automatic that they would be the ones. God chose them. And not implied in their circumcision. And not because they were circumcised. But simply because God chose them. From some of Abraham's race, the Messiah, according to the covenant, must ascend. And circumcision was a sign of this. But this was not signed by a circumcision to one, any one of all of his race. It's saying, he's saying the same thing I've just said. It's not to all of them. It's to whom God has chosen. Much less could circumcision, could, much less could circumcision sign this to strangers and slaves who were not of Abraham's posterity. Who else was Abraham supposed to circumcise? His servants. His slaves. Was the promise extended to them? No. He was just obeying what God said. They couldn't say, hey, look at me, I've, I've been circumcised, therefore this is mine as well. No. To such, even the temporal promises were not either, not either signed or sealed by circumcision. Hang with me. The covenant promised Canaan to Abraham's descendants, but circumcision could be no sign of this to the strangers and slaves who enjoyed no inheritance of it. If you were a stranger and you were circumcised, If you were a slave and you were circumcised, it wouldn't matter. It would not matter. That circumcision did not seal anything to anyone. But Abraham himself is established beyond a shadow of a doubt by the fact that, listen, circumcision was applied to those who had no personal interest in the covenant to which it was attached. What do we we mean? Circumcision was given to people that were not going to partake in this blessing, and yet they were even Abraham's offspring. Can you name one example? Ishmael. Ishmael was circumcised. Did he take part in any of the blessings of Abraham? What does Abraham do when Abraham's about to die? His sons come. Who does he send away and make sure that he keeps? He sends all of his sons away. And he only blesses one. Meaning, this one is going to receive my blessing. The other one's not. And guess what? And they were all circumcised. Even Ishmael. But I have the sign. Doesn't matter. God hasn't chosen you. This is made through Abraham. And it's going to be, by God's uh, uh, sovereign will, passed on to Isaac. And then by God's sovereign will, passed on to Jacob. And then by God's sovereign will, passed on to Judah. Out of all the sons, not even to Joseph. Are you with me? We read that, uh, let me see. Yeah, Ishmael is excluded from the covenant. 
there was no there's no evading the force of that. And it is impossible to reconcile it with the views so widely pervading upon the Abrahamic covenant. Furthermore, last part, circumcision was not submitted voluntarily. You didn't no one asked, hey, you want to be it was done to those who were eight days old. Nor given with reference to faith and they didn't believe it just was given to them. That makes sense. Little ones didn't ask. I'd like to be like my son is asking to be baptized. They were just circumcised without their their permission or not, without faith or not. It was compulsory, uh, compulsory, it says. And thus and that in every instance, he that is born in your house, he that is bought with your money shall be circumcised. Those refusing will be cut off. It's a lot different than what it means to be baptized, isn't it? We'll get to that next week. We might ask then, now here's what, what we need to ask. You should ask. If then circumcision sealed nothing to those who received it, except in the case of Abraham himself, why did God ordain it to be administered to every descendant, every male descendant? Why did God say circumcise them all if it only meant something to those who God ordained it to mean something to Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, amen. We all together? This is important. That's why I'm asking you because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Are we together? Okay. That's a great question. Why does God command it if it only means something to those whom God ordains it to mean something to? Brandon Adams is helpful on this point. He says this first because it was the mark. It was the mark God selected to distinguish Israel from all the other nations. God chose it to distinguish Israel from all the other nations. They would be the people from whom the Messiah was to descend, the nation. Circumcision was what it was because God chose it to be what it is, what it was. But we must not impose more upon circumcision than what God has described in his word. This is as far as we go here. Why circumcision? Second, uh, Brandon Adams says, because it served as a continual reminder that from Abraham's stock or from Abraham's line, the promised seed would come. Hence, soon after Christ appears, circumcision is no more. The Old Testament was constantly pointing forward to the fulfillment of this act as being a part of the new covenant. Read Jeremiah 31. The, the, the Old Testament is pointing forward to the new covenant that will fulfill this act of circumcision. And thirdly, Because of what it typically foreshadowed. Oh, this is going to be good for the next point. To be born naturally of Abraham's stock or born naturally of Abraham's line gave a title to circumcision and the earthly inheritance. Not the spiritual, but the earthly. The land, uh, the nation. You are entitled to that. But this was to to foreshadow a, a heavenly inheritance. A spiritual land. To be a part of a people whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world. And you can only enter into that by the Spirit of God. The servants and slaves bought in Abraham's household, bought with money, that beautifully foreshadowed the truth that those who enter into the kingdom of Christ are bought with his blood. Circumcision was commanded by God. And those who failed to obey the command to circumcise... Sinned and they were cut off from the covenant people of God. 
This is why the, the act of cutting is so significant. Circumcision was a visible promise and also a visible threat that God made with Abraham. At the time, uh, covenants were ratified or sealed in blood. There was no covenant without blood. They were established in blood. In the covenant that God made with Abraham, there was a, a cutting of animals. They were severed in two. And this cutting was to, to signify that if I fail to keep my part of the covenant, I shall be cut down like these animals. You see, this, this cutting is a threat. This, this is taking place in the act of circumcision. There, there's, it's a bloody act. And this cutting is to signify that I am cut off from the covenant if I don't obey all of the commands of the covenant. But before we move on, it's important that we understand God made this with Abraham. And the promises of God would, would come to pass because of Abraham's obedience. Do you see that? We saw this last week in the 22nd chapter of, of the book of Genesis when God commands Abraham to offer up his son. And then Abraham obeys. And what does God do after Abraham obeys? He recounts all of the promises that he's promised Abraham. The ones that were contingent upon what? Abraham's obedience. God said, because you have done this, because you've offered up your son, I will give you the land. I will make you a nation. He's the federal head. Because he obeyed, generations would benefit from his obedience. How do we know that? When we come to the book of Exodus, what's going on in the very beginning? What's happening in the book of Exodus in the very beginning? The people are in... They're in bondage. Where? Just like God said they would be. Remember that? Genesis chapter 15, God said... Your descendants, they will be, they will be, uh, uh, slaves basically in another land for 400 years and then I will bring them out. But what's interesting is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse, or Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24, while they're in Egypt, while they're, they're in slavery, while they're in bondage, the Bible says God heard their groaning. But listen to what it says. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. That there's a continual process. There's a, there's a furthering, expanding of this covenant that God made with Abraham where God says, because you have obeyed here, I will keep my covenant with you and bring these people out there. And they will partake in the blessings of the covenant that I made with you because of your obedience. Were there people between Abraham and Moses who did not circumcise? Yes. But was the... The fulfillment promises of God depended upon their obedience or Abraham's obedience? Abraham's obedience. Therefore, when God sees these people of Abraham, which are his people, God's people, here in Egypt, God says, I will remember my covenant that I made with Abraham because I have parts to fulfill. Abraham has obeyed his part. I will fulfill my part. And I will bring these people out and I will establish an expanded covenant with them. That will be connected to what I have promised Abraham. We'll get to that maybe next week. Because of Abraham's obedience. His blessings were mercifully extended to Isaac, to Jacob. 
And they too would come, Isaac and Jacob would too come to believe the promise of the seed who would crush the serpent's head. But the rescue of Israel took place because of the promise of God and the obedience of Abraham. The sign of circumcision. Are you with me? The sign of circumcision was first for Abraham, then expanded to the nation of Israel in the Mosaic Covenant, which leads us to the next and final point. The typology of circumcision. So we have considered kind of a brief uh, overview of circumcision in the Old Testament. Very, very brief. Now the sign, or then the sign of circumcision, and now the typology. Typology of circumcision. Brothers and sisters, if you have been in this church for any length of time, uh, it is probable that you have heard the word type and anti-type in this church, right? A type is generally used to denote a, a resemblance between something present and something future. The future being the, the anti-type or the fulfillment. Uh, as we've said before, the type is never greater than the anti-type. The anti-type is always greater than the type. So the person, place, thing, event here is always pointing to something greater. A greater person, a greater place, a greater event, a greater thing in the New Testament. So the question that we're asking is simply this. Circumcision. What did circumcision point forward to? And what is its fulfillment in the New Testament? If circumcision is a type, what is its anti-type? Anybody want to say? You want to whisper? Huh? Don't say baptism. We need to take, uh, we don't need to take shots in the dark to answer the question. We just need to turn to God's word. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. <coughs> in Genesis chapter 12, uh, the Abrahamic covenant God is promising two things. There is a physical promise and there is a spiritual promise. We find that when God first appeared to Abraham, who was then Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, he says this. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Contained within these three verses was the physical promise of land and offspring and the spiritual promise revealed to Abraham that through him would come a seed that would bless all of the nations namely the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that Abraham received at this time, when God first called him, Abraham received, this, this is going to be very important, Abraham received a new heart. Through the hearing of the gospel, the Spirit of God took Abraham's heart of stone and gave to him a heart of flesh. Which is why Abraham believed God. Which is why he left his country. Which is why he left his father's house. Because he was given a new heart to believe. Then, as we proceed in the life of Abraham, the Lord God appears to him 
and commands Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise all of those in his household. And what does Abraham do? He believes God. Not to be righteous, but because he was made righteous by faith in Christ. This circumcision has uh, kind of two aspects to it, really. It pointed both to the physical promises and also to spiritual promises. A spiritual need, really. Let's say it that way. It pointed to a spiritual promise and to a spiritual need and to a promise. One was applied by human hands at birth. The other could only be applied by the hands of God through the new birth. It pointed to those who were a part of the physical nation of Israel. But it also pointed to those who needed to be a part of true Israel. The people of God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to make this point. Deuteronomy chapter 10, <clears throat> Deuteronomy, uh, Deutero meaning second, uh, Ronomy, uh, giving of the law, second giving of the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, the commandments are explained. And this is really throughout all of the, the book of Deuteronomy. They're explained and then applied to the nation of Israel. And this is most likely what is taking place uh, throughout the entire book, as I just said. Then we come to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Let's Let's look at that there. Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 12 through 17. Now Israel, listen to what God is saying. What does your Lord God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples, as it is this day. Listen to verse 16. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. Very interesting. Remember, we're asking, what is the typology of circumcision, right? What is, is circumcision a type of? What is it pointing forward to? Moses was explaining the requirements of the law. He recounted some of the history of Israel with, with its past sin and failure. Their failure to worship God. And now he, he's calling them to worship God, to obey God. And he says in verse 15 that, that God has set his love and affection on their fathers. That's covenantal language. God has, has established covenants with those who have come before you, your fathers. And they are called to take part in this covenant first established with Abraham and now expanded to the nation of Israel. Listen, though. Not just outwardly. Got that? Moses is saying... Obey the Lord. Worship the Lord. You failed to do so in the past. Do not continue to make the same sin. Obey the Lord. Not just outwardly. What would outwardly be, be referring to? Circumcision. But inwardly. 
Listen to verse 16 again. Circumcise your heart. And stiffen your neck. That is, do not resist God's word no longer. Now, the people, they understood just the word, the the act of circumcision. It, It was the cutting. Remember that? It was done in obedience to the requirements of God, etc., etc. And now they are being commanded to circumcise their own hearts. I can imagine being in that assembly and looking down at my chest and saying, how am I going to do that? Perform surgery in my own heart. What? How do I do that? The Lord was commanding the people to perform surgery on their own physical hearts. Was he? My son, as we were talking in our family worship the other day, I was saying to, to trust God in your heart. And he asked a very question. Now, what do you mean, my heart? Where is it? Are you talking about the thing that beats? And, oh, you're right. That's a very good distinction we need to start making, I think, now. Your soul. That which you, you love, you pursue. That which you desire. That which you long for. That which you see and, and want to see. That which you hear and want to hear. That must be changed. How can you change that? How can you be given a new heart? Right? He's not commanding the people to perform an actual physical surgery. He's he's commanding them, calling them to a spiritual need. A spiritual surgery. And he's pointing back to the spiritual aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, hold that thought and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verses 1 through 5. Just a few pages over. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you. We're in verse 1. The blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind in in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you... Return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord, your God, will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you. This is very important. And will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord God, your God, has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, there, from there, the Lord God will gather you. And he will bring, and from there, he will bring you back. Listen to what he says. The Lord your God will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed and your fathers possess shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Now, pause there. Look here. This is speaking of the future exile of Israel. They will break this covenant. This is the Mosaic covenant. They will break that covenant. They will chase after other gods. But God will have compassion on them. And he will bring them back. From their captivity. Just as God spoke of future of the future oppression of the people of, of Abraham, God is now speaking of a future exile of the nation of Israel. And that he would bring them back. Then God makes a promise that points to the new covenant, and he uses interesting language. Verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your descendants to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. 
Do you see that the, we had a dilemma in chapter 10, right? Circumcise your own heart. How am I going to do that? How can I do that? The dilemma of chapter 10 is answered for us in chapter 30. God commanded the people to circumcise their own hearts. That is to obey God, to be sensitive to his commands. And the only way that one can be sensitive to the commands of God is if they have been given a new heart. You may be wondering why those who claim that they love God, those who say, I believe in Jesus, and yet they won't obey the simplest commands of God. I submit to you it's because based based upon God's word, They need a new heart. You can say all day long with your mouth, I love God. But only those who have been given, who have been circumcised in the heart by God. Only those are showing that they truly have been brought from death to life. How can one receive a new heart? How can one perform circumcision on themselves? They can't. We can't. This circumcision can only be performed by the great physician, God the Holy Spirit. And the confusion often comes when the Arminian asks the question, why would God give a command that we cannot obey? Answer, there are two answers really, and maybe more. Because God does not lower his standards. God does not lower his righteous standards in order to appease the unrighteous and unrighteousness and inability of man. Just because you can't doesn't mean God doesn't command that you should. God does not alter his law because of man's sin and disobedience. God requires all men to repent. Listen to the wording. Can all men repent? It's an ability. It's a question of ability. Can all men repent? No. They may, but can they? No. Because we're speaking about ability. And inability does not erase the command simply because man cannot. Why? Because man did not come from his creator in this depraved state. Man brought himself to this depraved state. Man was created initially with the ability. But he forfeited that ability when he sinned against God. And God will not uh, retract his command simply because man has sinned. You must do this. Man was made upright. And that command to obey God has stood from then till now. The other answer is this. God is really not commanding something that we can't obey. He's not. Be sensitive to the law of God. Can we do that? Can we? Yes. If we've been given a new heart. If we've been given a new heart. And who performs that act? God performs that act. He graciously and sovereignly makes us willing and desirous to obey him. So that we might serve and love him. And obey his commands. We might love him with all of our heart as he says. With all of our soul. And in that. God himself is telling us. What the antitype of circumcision is. God is pointing us forward to what the fulfillment of circumcision is. He says later in Ezekiel 36, 26, God, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. God, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is the doctrine of regeneration. When God takes the heart of stone and gives to us a heart of flesh and God alone must do this. 
Remember, there were two things taking place when God calls Abraham. Abraham was promised a physical seed that would come in the flesh. And he was also going to be the father of that same physical seed who would bless spiritually all those who trust in him by faith. Abraham believed this spiritual promise and was made righteous before circumcision, before the old covenant. How? Because his heart was circumcised by God. His heart was cut long before his flesh was cut. He is therefore the father of those who trust in Christ by faith. So then we ask again, hopefully you've already got the message. What was circumcision a type of? Drum roll, please. Circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the flesh was a type of the anti-type. Circumcision of the heart. Colossians 2.11, which we will deal with in detail next week. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By the putting off of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision without hands. Did you catch that? How are you circumcised without hands? Oh, well, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills. You can't command it. You can't tell it to go east or west. It blows upon the hearts of those whom God wills. It is because Christ has been cut that we have been given a new heart and he has put his spirit within us. This is what Abraham believed. This is how Abraham was made righteous. Not because his foreskin was cut. But because his heart was cut. And there are many who have who have been physically cut and yet their hearts remain uh, rock solid to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed That Christ in his death, life and death, resurrection and ascension was sufficient to atone for his sin and his rebellion that he inherited from Adam. Let's turn to one final passage in Romans chapter (coughs) 2. Romans chapter 2. Stay in Romans as well. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of a law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you through Uh, Though having the letter of the law and circumcision as a transgressor of the law, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Got that? And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Circumcision represents obedience to the law. There are those who keep the law and are not circumcised, but they have experienced a different kind of circumcision. Circumcision of the heart. For he who is a Jew is not one just outwardly, 
It's inwardly, right? What is happening here is the, the apostle is, is drawing a distinction between uh, two different kinds of ways of describing a Jew. There are those who have who are only Jews outwardly. They've received a physical circumcision. Then there are those who are Jews, listen, inwardly. Because they have received a spiritual circumcision of the heart. This becomes important throughout the book of Romans. Because here's the question as we begin to close. Who is true Israel? Romans 9, 6. For all they are not Israel who are descended from Israel. Just because you're from the physical nation doesn't mean you're really Israel. Nor are all the children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through your but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not of the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise who are regarded as descendants. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're a child of Abraham. Just because you're of the nation Israel doesn't mean you're Israel. There are two memberships of Israel, and they are not the same. There are some who, like Abraham, belong to both. He is physical and spiritual uh, a Jew. They have been circumcised both in flesh and heart. But there are many Jews who are not a part of spiritual Israel because they have not received spiritual circumcision. And there are many Gentiles who are a part of spiritual Israel because they have received spiritual circumcision. What is at the heart of all of this is the cutting of the heart again. And I'm I'm belaboring this point on purpose. This is the mark of belonging to God and being recognized as true Israel. The fact that people were circumcised pointed to this circumcised circumcision of the heart. And again, how do we receive it? By believing in the one who lived, died and rose and ascended for our justification. Therefore, just as the promise was first and foremost to Abraham, the promise is first and foremost to the true one, the true seed. He, first and foremost, is true Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the faithful son. He is the one who did not disobey. He kept the covenant without wavering. And the promises, promises to him, promise to him are then extended to us because we are in him. We therefore become true Israel because we are in him. But Christ alone is true Israel and we become true Israel by placing our faith in him. Does that make sense? He perfectly accomplished the covenant of redemption. He inaugurated the covenant of grace at the cross and he calls you to trust in him so that you might as a result of his work, receive the blessings of his completed, finished work. You may sit here today, and and I said to the guys at the narrow road, I am thankful for expositional preaching. Because without it, I would not be dealing with this difficult subject for the next three weeks to come. We come, all of us, listen, I come from a background that says, give me something practical today. I need some help today, preacher. I need something practical. I need something applicable. All these things are too difficult. This is God's word. This is the word of God. And now we see our great need. 
And it's the same for Israel as it is for us. You and I can't do something on the outside to make us right standing before God. There are a lot of people, and I grew up in church for 40 years, who came to church and I saw them year after year fake it and fake it and fake it until they couldn't fake it anymore. Their hearts had not been circumcised. They did all of the external things. They knew all the right people. They said all of the right spiritual Christian words. But they just couldn't play the game long enough. Why? Because it always was a game to them. Their hearts were never truly changed. And let me give you the same warning. Do not think that because of any external work that you do, that you are somehow saying, see what I did, now I'm saved. You and I are only saved by faith in Christ alone. It is by grace alone that you are saved. This dot of works that no man can boast. It is the work of Christ alone. And you only receive anything spiritually good because of his completed work. In him are all the promises yes and amen. This is the meaning of circumcision. And next week we will deal with more that we must deal with concerning this subject. But I leave you with that. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Let's pray.